All right, a lot, a lot going on this morning. And we are going to get into God's Word together. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, verse 19. Romans chapter 6, verse 19. We're going through the book of Romans. The series is called Nail It Down, which is a look back to the Reformation. We're celebrating the 501st anniversary of the Reformation. And we just remember what God did during that important time where he rescued the church from corruption and bondage. And the book of Romans was, was really key and central to getting the fire of the Reformation lit. So the sermon today is called The Free Gift of God. The Free Gift of God. And if there's one thing that I want to convey to you today, it's this. In fact, if you're kind of a hit-me-with-the-bottom-line preacher so I could take a good nap while you speak, okay, here it comes. You ready? If you want to get to heaven, if you want to get to heaven, if, do you want to get to heaven? If you want to get to heaven, you have to receive a free gift from God. You can't earn it. You can't pay your own way. You can't deserve it. You need to hold out empty hands and receive a free gift from Almighty God. My uh, wife got a text yesterday from my son's friend's mom. And my son, who's 12, his friend's mom said, hey, we have an extra ticket to the Toby Mac concert. Does Jared want to go? Now, these concerts are selling out all over the country because it's Toby Mac, and he's got Jeremy Camp. And also, in fact, we have a picture here of the concert. Toby Mac, Jeremy Camp, Jordan Fleece, Ryan Stevenson, We Are Masters, and Aaron Cole. And uh, it's like, hey, we've got a... We've got an extra ticket. Do you want to come to the concert with your friend tonight? And Jared's like, I'll think about it. <laughs> what? What do you mean you'll think about it? This is a sold-out concert. He thought about it for like a second, right? And I'm like, if you don't go, I'm going. All right? I'm going to be standing next to your friend. Hey, Jimmy, isn't this amazing? Woo! I mean, it's, it's awesome. Uh, but the way my son got to that concert is the only way you are going to get to heaven. Someone else pays your way. Now listen, it was not a free ticket. Someone paid for it, but it was free to my son because someone paid his price. Your ticket to heaven was paid for by the blood, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you accept the free gift of eternal life, then you get to go to heaven. If not, you don't. And I hope you're not sitting here today saying, I'll think about it. Do you want to go to heaven? I'll think about it. How about you don't? How about you just go? <laughs> Why would you think about it for another moment? Heaven, free. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 19, let's learn about the free gift of eternal life. It says here in 619, and we're continuing through, this is like a multiple, we're spending multiple weeks here in the same chapter, so make sure you get all the other sermons online. But it says here in 619, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at the time for the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification." and its end, eternal life. Here it is. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you look through this passage, there's many ways I could preach it. Uh, and the easiest way for us to figure out what it is trying to convey to us is to see that it talks about your past, it talks about your present, 
and it talks about your future. So let's talk about the past first. Jot this down. I was. I was. Do you know the Bible talks to you about your past? Do you know that God has a plan for your past? It says for when you were, in verse 20, you were. You were something. It says in verse 19, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, you once did something. It says in verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time? You were getting fruit for your choices. It talks about your past. I was. I was. We have to be honest and admit the truth of our past before we can know God's power in our present. And listen, if you have never brought your past to God, if you have never embraced God's plan for your past, if you have never agreed with God and his word on what your past is really revealing about you, that's step one. That's step one. Sometimes people just think they can barge into the presence of a holy God and be like, I know he loves me forever for any reason, and we're just going to move. Well, have you dealt with your past? God's starting point is is in your past. I, I was. I was. And we all have a past. Do you know Alice Cooper? Alice Cooper was the legendary rocker, right, back in the 80s, 90s. Check this picture out. Alice Cooper, right? And uh, Alice Cooper has been a devout Christian. Maybe you didn't know that. It says here, Alice Cooper has been a devout Christian since he gave up drinking, according to an interview. He says this, before, you're always self-centered. Everything is always for you. Yourself is God. Cooper said on the difference his faith has made in his life, humans make lousy gods. We have to let God be God and us be what we are. I love that. Humans make lousy gods. He's talking about his past. But here's the thing. If you look back before his conversion, Alice Cooper was a PK. His dad was a pastor. His mom was a PK, or his, his wife was a PK. He was a pastor's kid, and he married a pastor's kid. Alice Cooper's grandfather was an evangelist. He went to church multiple times growing up. And he talks about when he got into the rock and roll scene, it just took off, and nobody expected that they would get that big. And so suddenly he found himself on this collision course with reality, and he kept making decisions, thinking he could kind of be a, a pure rocker or some sort of a transformer, and then suddenly the world got him. And he realized he was not saved. He learned the hard way when he woke up one morning throwing up blood, and he realized that he was an alcoholic and he couldn't change. That's when he surrendered his life to Christ. Oh, he had known a long time about Christ, but he didn't know Christ. And then when he gave his life over to Christ, the addiction was broken, the bondage was broken, and now he has a legacy of living for Christ while he is this well-known uh, rocker. And listen to what he said. Humans make poor gods. Hey, do you have a past? Maybe your past is not, I was, you know, a famous rocker who rose to fame and fortune and glory and then woke up as an alcoholic one day, but you have a past. What is your story? What is your story? When you tell your story, if you're honest, part of your story has to be you were bound to sin. Jot this down. I was a slave to sin. The Bible says that we were all slaves to sin. We just express our bondage differently. It says here in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. What Paul is saying here is he's using an analogy that isn't perfect. The idea of you being enslaved to sin 
he's drawing from the slave market of his day to describe a spiritual condition. And he's being honest here. It's, it's not a perfect ideal illustration, but he's saying I'm using this because putting it in human terms will allow you to understand a deeper spiritual truth. Okay? He says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Lots of words here, but it uses the slavery imagery that we are shackled. We are, what is your relationship to sin before Christ? Shackles. Shackles. It has you, you don't have it. Sin masters you, you don't master it. Sin is controlling you, you're not controlling it. It's a relationship of bondage. It says here slavery, and it also uses the word slaves to impurity. That's kind of a mixed metaphor. Um, but the idea of impurity at the very root of that word in the Greek, just it comes from the word meaning unclean or dirty or filthy. It can, it can go on in the context to mean ceremonially unclean, which means you have done something to make yourself kind of morally impure. Uh, or it, it, it is often used to mean sexual impurity, meaning you've done something indecent and therefore it's made you impure in that area. Uh, generally speaking, though, impurity just uses the idea of being dirty to describe your spiritual condition. Now, neither of these is flattering to us. Shackles, filth, and God is trying to tell you. He's not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. He's trying to make you see yourself. Look in the mirror. Right? This is our starting point is shackles and filth. And that's why we have to realize the problem of our past. Uh, we are not clean. We are not free. The idea of dirt, some of you have rules in your house to keep it clean. Right? How many of you have house rules? Like when children come into your house, raise your hand if there's rules and you expect nobody. Raise your hand if you, come on, be proud. You have rules and you expect your house to be clean and you expect children to not put their feet on furniture and not jump on the couch and take their shoes off at the door, right? Question, if someone showed up wearing filthy shoes, would you let them in? Do we have a picture here of... Uh, there we go. All right. Now, if that child took one step into your door, how far would you let that child get into your house? How far? Like, you're not coming in here like that, right? Now, here, the idea of you and I, you just walking into heaven as is, is the same idea as that child walking into like a house with white carpeting, okay? And what you would do to prevent your house from getting filthy physically, God will do to prevent his kingdom from getting filthy spiritually. God will not let any sin into heaven, right? And praise God. I don't want a God who lets heaven be filled with corruption, right? And deceit and deception and theft. Nobody wants that God. So God has a plan to free you from sin, to cleanse you from sin. Jeremiah 2.22 says this, Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. You can't get the stain of sin off your soul. I was a slave of sin. It says to lawlessness, and then it says to lawlessness need, leading to lawlessness. So there's a downward spiral, and the idea of lawlessness in the Greek just means a catch-all description of our life before Jesus. We are law breakers. Where do we get our standards of morality? 
How do we, def I've told you this before, but one of my favorite classes in college, uh, I had an essay test as a final, and the essay test had two questions. Number one, what is good? Number two, what is evil? What is good? What is evil? And it was an essay test. And, you know, many people answer these questions differently today, but the bottom line is there is good, there is evil. And the way we define it is by God's moral law. God has a moral law, and it's binding on everyone in the planet, whether we know it or like it or not. And that's the law we're going to be held accountable to. So, so we're slaves to sin, and we are, we are spiraling downward into lawlessness. And that's, that's our doctrine of sin. God has a law that measures right and wrong. And that law springs from God's nature. Now it goes on to say here in verse 18, or verse 19, you presented your members as slaves to impurity, that's your body, to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness, leading to sanctification. It says in verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at the time from those things? The idea that we get there is when it says you were free in regard to righteousness, that doesn't mean that you were free, you know, from what God expected of you. It just means that you had, like, freed yourself from doing the right thing. Judgment is not just going to be the wrong we've done. Judgment is going to be the right things we left undone. And that's going to be an even uh, larger category of the things that we were meant for and born for and that we left undone in those days of wandering. So we are slaves to sin. Jot this down. We were also trapped and ashamed. Trapped and ashamed. It says in verse 21, What fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. The end of those things is death. The idea that we are trapped in guilt and shame is frightening. We were trapped, we couldn't get out, and we were ashamed. But it uses this idea of fruit, right? What fruit were you getting? Which means fruit doesn't grow quickly. So, so sin doesn't immediately hurt us all the time. Sometimes it does. But often the fruit of sin grows slowly. And that's why sin is so appealing, because it gives us the pleasure up front, and then the pain comes later. And now, now, looking back, the Bible is like, hey, what did you get from that sin back then? And when you look back to your college years, I'm sure you could list regrets, things that you thought were going to go one way, things that you were proud of and reveled in, right? And, and it didn't fill you, and it didn't satisfy you, and maybe there are still consequences today because of those choices, opportunities missed, right? Mistakes made. What, what did you get from that? Sin doesn't deliver. But the fruit of sin grows slowly over time, and you don't always perceive its true danger at first. I saw an amazing video several months ago, and I saved this because I knew I was going to use it at one point, but I heard about the deadliest garden on earth, and I heard about it in this video from the gardener, you think your job is bad? The gardener who works at the deadliest garden on earth. Check this out. A trope of belladonna will kill you. Datura will put you to sleep forever. Aconitum will kill you. Laurel will produce cyanide and kill you. Every plant here in the poison garden is poisonous and has the ability to kill you. 
This plant is Aconitum, or monkshood. Wonderful blue flowers, but the whole of the plant is poisonous. The berries, crushed up and fed to you, will kill you. The leaves themselves will kill you also, as will the root and the stem. We have to obviously maintain the garden, so we have to tend the plants. And when we do that, we have to be very careful of the way we operate. So we have to cover some of our skin when we deal with particularly dangerous plants. Someone needs to tell that guy that there are other jobs out there waiting for him. <laughs> I would not keep that job for a day. I mean, I wouldn't walk into that garden, let alone work at that garden. Now, I love that image. Let's take that image. Sin is described, or the effects of sin is described as fruit growing, like vegetation. And here's the truth. Every sin will kill you. Okay? Every sin will kill you. But sin doesn't come with, with accurate warning labels on it. Right? Sin doesn't come with accurate warning labels on it. Uh, it's, it's not like when you're in college and you're tempted to jump in bed with anybody who's there. There's suddenly warning labels all over the sheets telling you of the STDs you can get in that moment. Sin doesn't always come with the warning labels. When, when you are tempted to throw your life after the love of money that, you know, and, and throw your life into the love of materialistic stuff, it's not like everything you order from Amazon comes with warning labels on it. Warning, money is your God, and your God will eventually take you away from heaven forever. Like, if only sin came with those warning labels, right? Maybe we would think twice, but that's what God's word is for. God's word runs all over to every sin in your life slapping warning labels on it. And every one of those warning labels has a skull and crossbones. Sin will kill you. Root, fruit, stem. It's all fatal. It's just a question of how long it takes to deliver its final blow. Sin is tempting because we don't suffer immediately. Pleasure comes first. Pain comes later. And then the shame sticks, and you can't get it off of you. That's why we hide away our most humiliating failures. And man, if others were to discover who we truly are, what we truly did, we wonder if they would even ever talk to us. Shame, guilt, humiliation. What did you get from those choices? The Bible is honest. What fruit, verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? And the end of those things is death. Shame now, death later. Which leads to judgment. It says the wages of sin is death. So jot this down. Not only are I was a slave to sin, trapped in a shame, I was bound for judgment. I was bound for judgment. Write that down. The end is death. We will reap what we sow. Hey, are you, are you ready to stand before a holy God with filthy feet? Do you think that's going to end well? Are you ready to stand before a holy God with the poison of sin coursing through your veins? Are you ready to meet your maker? Because many aren't. I Have you been honest to God about your past? I was a slave of sin, trapped in a shame, bound for judgment. And listen, this is true of everyone in the room. Everyone in the room. I was a slave of sin, trapped in a shame, bound for judgment. That's our starting point. Number two, and praise God for number two. But now, but now, something has changed. Looking back to verse 19, it says, Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now, so now we're talking about the present, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. But now, there's a new day and a new challenge. We are now to be slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But 
What fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. I love verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. But now, jot this down, I'm set free from sin's power. I'm set free from sin's power. When you give your life to Jesus, he sets you free from the shackles of sin. What exactly does that mean? It means that sin has no more power to command you or condemn you. Oh, it can tempt you. But listen, sin has no more power to command you. You don't have to lose. And sin has no more power to condemn you. The guilt and the shame are gone. The power to condemn and the power to command are over, and you are liberated. No more shame, no more guilt, no more fear. I'm set free from sin's power. Now, the problem is people often don't see following Jesus as freedom. They see it as bondage. Following Jesus, you Christians don't get to have any fun. It's like you put on a straitjacket. You can't say fun things. You can't watch fun things. You can't go to fun places. You're losing all your fun. I was at a high school sharing the gospel once before, and a girl raised her hand. I had a lot of tough questions, and this girl raised her hand, and she's like, we're young. Why would we follow Jesus now? We want to have fun. That's her objection. It's subtle, but it's very powerful. And for some people, that's as far as they've gotten in the equation. If I follow this Jesus, my fun goes away. They don't see freedom from sin as freedom. They see freedom from sin as actually bondage. We live in America, the land of the free. We pride ourselves on political liberty. John Adams said that America is the fairest field of liberty that ever appeared on the earth. We love freedom. We sing about freedom, right? And when it comes to the idea of liberty, look, for example, at our missionaries we support in Venezuela, the Dawsons. They just came back from Venezuela. You've been following what's going on in Venezuela. Like, there's no power anymore. There's no food anymore. They don't have any political liberty. There's no freedom of religion down there. When you look at what's going on in North Korea, there, you could get killed for saying you're a Christian. There's no freedom there. Go to Saudi Arabia and try and convert to Christianity and your family will kill you. There's no freedom there. Okay, So we are so blessed to have political and religious freedom in this country. But listen, that liberty is only, a, only a, a, a fraction of what true freedom really is. True freedom is when the power of sin is broken deep within your soul and you can live the way God intended you to live. That's freedom. That's freedom. I'm set free from sin's power and God wants to free you. But sometimes even Christians hold on to their sin as if they're going to lose something. Why? I want to just say what I want and do what I want. Really? Where did that get you? That's not freedom. That's bondage. That's the problem. The world defines Christian freedom as slavery, right? And Christians see the world's freedom as bondage. 
But God wants to set you free. And guess what? Spiritual freedom doesn't take all of your fun away. Be careful how you define freedom. If you want to live your life how you want to live it and say whatever you want and do whatever you want, that's anarchy. That's anarchy. And one of the biggest political problems we have in our country right now is people are saying something that sounds like freedom, but they're really wanting anarchy, right? Wanting anyone to be able to do anything and say anything and be anything, that's anarchy. That's not liberty, right? And moral anarchy is fashionable right now. People should just be able to do whatever they want. That's not liberty. Liberty without law is anarchy. And because people today want to do whatever they want, be whatever they want, believe whatever they want, that's the mindset that's destroying reason and love and beauty and justice. That's not freedom. Be careful. Don't envy the wicked. Don't envy the wicked. Well, I wish I could go to that club. I wish I didn't have to give some of my money. To, I wish I... Don't envy the wicked. Don't envy the wicked. Jesus came to set you free. Listen, Jesus didn't come into the world to help you sin more comfortably. We're in a season now where so many churches are reeling from the effects of sin because Christians don't understand that God wants to free them from sin. So people, pastors, shamefully, go to church and think it's safer to sin in church. Have you read your Bible? If you're going to sin, get out of the church and do it. You think it's safer to sin in the church? Have you heard the story of Ananias and Sapphira? You think it's safer to sin? In well, I go to church, and I'm a Christian, and I believe these things, and so then I'm going to sin, and God's going to punish me left. Read your Bible. If you, as your pastor, okay, if you're planning on continuing in sin, get out of the church. Fast. Because it's safer to sin outside of the church. God will bring your fruit to light faster. Why do people treat sin in the church like it's diet sin, right? Like, like it's got half the consequences. Well, but at least I go to church. You're in peril. Please think clearly about that. Just because you're in the church, it doesn't make your sin any safer. Jesus didn't come so that you could sin freely. He came to liberate you completely from it to get all the mud off your feet, to get the shackles off. I bank with Chase, and they keep sending me credit card offers, and they write the word freedom on every one. Chase, freedom. Freedom. Free to buy whatever you want. And I'm like, 25.99% interest is not freedom. Let me get this straight. Every dollar I spend... On this freedom credit card, you're going to charge me a quarter per year? That's insanity. Freedom. <laughs> Listen, it's not freedom. Sinning is not freedom. You will pay. I read a book recently that quoted Plato, not the toy, the philosopher. <laughs> Plato said this, the excess of liberty seems only to pass into the excess of slavery. People have known this for thousands of years. The excess of liberty seems only to pass into the excess of slavery. Are you living to just do whatever the heck you want? That's bondage. But now, what's changed? I'm set free from sin's power. Embrace that. 
set free. It says in verse 22, you have been set free. Jot this down. I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of God. You've become slaves of God. I'm a servant of God. Slaves of God. So the word slave might be a hard word for you to understand. You are a slave. You are bought by God. You are owned by God. Maybe that's insulting to you if you still want your freedom from God. The idea of slavery to God compares our previous relationship to sin and our current relationship to God. So in some ways, it's the same. Slave owned you, now God owns you. Slave commanded you, now God commands you. So there's some carryover, but in some ways it's different. Slavery to God means you're under grace. You're loved, you're led, you're cared for, and you're promised eternal life. Much different. Slave is a harsh master. Sin is a harsh master. You are given bondage, and in the end, you walk away empty-handed. So there are some similarities, and there are some differences. The point here, though, is that God wants you to serve his purposes. God wants to free you, and, and God wants to empower you to change the world. And this is so humbling. I mean, I'd be happy if God's just like, there, you're saved. Now go sit in a corner and don't cause any more trouble until I come back for you. I'd be like, deal. I'll be quiet, real quiet. Salvation in heaven, I'm done. But he's going to use me? That's so much better. And God wants to empower you to change the world. I got a text this week from one of our ministry partners, NSP. Do you know NSP is uh, the ministry that reaches into high schools, local high schools in Chicago with the gospel. And the way they do it is awesome. They train the high schoolers to plan and execute rallies in their school during lunch or after school. They'll provide the speaker, but the high schoolers have to plan the whole thing. And so listen to what happened just last week. Uh, six schools hosted out, this is last week, six schools hosted outreach events. One school hosted a prayer and vision night to launch their club. Uh, 472 students attended rallies. 74 indicated first-time decisions to accept Christ. 24 indicated rededicating their life to Christ. At Glenbrook South High School, they did three rallies during lunchtime. 46 kids were saved. At Glenbar North, uh, Glenbrook North High School, they had a rally after school. 12 kids showed up. Six indicated that they rededicated their lives to Christ. At Stevenson High School, they had two outreach rallies during lunch. 123 kids showed up. 11 kids got saved. Deerfield High School, one outreach rally. 96 kids showed up. Four kids got saved. Warren High School, three rallies. Uh, 15 kids indicated that they accepted Christ using high schoolers to reach their own high schools. And that's just in Chicago. Here's a few pictures. They did a rally in Tucson. Actually, this is from a different rally, but this is what a rally looks like. During lunch, they come have pizza, they hear the gospel, they get saved. Now, here's the next picture. In Tucson, 400 students showed up, half the school. Half the school showed up for a rally in Tucson. It's unbelievable, and high schoolers are doing this. Listen, God wants to use you, whatever age you are, wherever you work, to make a difference in the lives of other people. I'm a servant of God. So, but now I'm set free from sin's power. I'm a servant of God. Jot this down. I'm becoming more like God. So it says, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. The idea of sanctification means you are giving yourself over uh, to the righteous life. And in doing so, God is making you more like himself and more like his son. You and I, we were created in God's image. We were meant to resemble him. But we fall. We fall away from that. And God wants to restore us to the designer's original specifications. 
I'm becoming more like God. So God wants to free you, God wants to empower you, and God wants to transform you. He wants to transform you. How many of you went and saw Captain Marvel this week? Raise your hand if you went up and saw Captain Marvel. I went. You've got to go see it. It's amazing. It's amazing. If you go see it, I'll give you an extra donut next week at church. Okay? It's, it's awesome. And at one point, I'm not spoiling anything, but at one point we see how Captain Marvel gets her powers. And she's standing next to this, like, quantum engine that blows up. And she blows up in the air and suddenly the energy goes inside of her. And then she can shoot photon blasts from her hands, which would be amazing. Right, I'd get a lot more respect from my kids in my home if I could shoot photon blasts from my hands. They would, they would do what I say, right? That would be amazing. The power surging through her body. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, wow. I have the power that made the whole universe surging through my body. That's even better. Who needs photons? The Spirit of God is in you to transform you. She became a different being, a hero. God doesn't transform you into a hero. He transforms you into a child of God in His image. And then He gives you power to live the Christian life that you never had before. You can become something that you weren't. I'm becoming more like God. So now the fruit that's growing slowly, wouldn't we all like to be further up? You know, just, just go to your garden and tell it to grow faster and see if it listens. Right. It grows slowly, but God is growing righteousness in you. That's called sanctification. I'm a servant of God. I'm becoming more like God. Jot this down, and I'm bound for glory. I'm bound for glory. I'm set free. I'm empowered. I'm transformed. And I'm bound for glory. God wants to welcome you home, has family forever. And I want you to be able to put your head on the pillow tonight knowing that you're going to heaven. That leads us to number three. I was, but now. And the third point tells us about how our future can be with God. Number three, because, because, jot this down, Jesus died and rose again to save me. It says, the end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is the way. Christ Jesus is our Lord. Who is Jesus and how can he help me? How can I become transformed? How can I be set free? How can I serve God's purposes? You have to know Jesus Christ personally. He has to become your Lord. Jesus died and rose again to save me. The basic truth is that Jesus stepped down from heaven to earth. He came from another world. Marvel is always introducing new characters who come from other worlds, right? But they're all actors from earth. They're all from earth. Jesus is from heaven. He's the only one who came down from heaven. And he lived the perfect life because he was divine. He died. He died on the cross because he was human. And while on the cross, he paid the full penalty for your sin. Then he was thrown into a tomb. He died your death. Then he rose again. And he ascended to the right hand of God in front of hundreds of witnesses. He now rules heaven and he rules earth. 
Jesus died and rose again to save me. Jot this down. I received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I was, but now, because, what changed? I received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Is Jesus your Lord? Have you turned over and surrendered lordship of your life to Jesus? Have you made Jesus your king? Have you given him the power to command you? Is Jesus your savior? Have you told him that you need to be saved? Not helped, not taught, not encouraged, saved, rescued, pulled up from the grave. Have you told him, save me? I receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jot this down. Jesus gave me the gift of eternal life. If so, the ultimate outcome of your faith in Christ is eternal life. You will never be separated from God. Life forever and ever and ever. Hey, where will you be in 10,000 years? There's only two answers. Where will you be in 10,000 years? Are you planning to stand before God on your own merit? The Bible says that's a bad plan. And really what I'm doing this morning is I'm offering you a better plan for eternity than the one you walked in with. It's like an exchange policy. You came in with one plan. The Bible told you it's a bad plan. It's time to exchange it for the Bible's plan. When you stand before God, the only thing that will get you through those pearly gates is saying, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. Hey, are you going to heaven? Please don't say I'm thinking about it. Nail that down today. Don't settle for maybe. Don't wait another day. Don't become another statistic of someone who heard the story but didn't respond and then went off to an eternity apart from God forever. Receive the free gift of eternal life right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I do pray for those who are here today, especially for those who walked into the room either with no confidence or false confidence. Some came here today with no confidence, Lord. They thought, how could God ever forgive me? After all I've done, why would God ever accept me? And I hope that today your word has demonstrated that you will accept them, the vilest offender who truly believes, you will accept them. And I pray that some today would reach out and receive the free gift of eternal life and that they would feel their guilt and their shame melting away. For others who walked in here with false confidence, who thought they were right with you, but the Bible says they aren't, may they believe the warning. May they see the warning labels placed on the sin all over their life. May they understand that the wages of sin is death. There will be no way of escape. There will be no way out. Once their fate is sealed, it will be done for eternity. Help them, O oh Lord, out of fear for you and love for you to let go of their false confidence today and to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. Right now, I give people the opportunity in their own hearts to pray this with me. I invite you to pray this with me. Say this. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Say that. Say that in your heart. Father, Forgive me, for I have sinned. I believe the truth about Jesus. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my Savior. Jesus, promise me heaven forever. 